Hello and welcome to Homestead Hens and Honey, a beekeeping, chicken keeping and general homesteading podcast. I'm your host Gemma and today I have a special episode. So for any of you who have listened to my show before, you'll know that I'm a really, really big fan of the Hive Jive podcast, which was recently became or voted or however these things work, it became the number one US beekeeping podcast. And I've been listening from the beginning, so I feel like I knew Ken and John, who were the hosts, pretty well. But I was very excited when John reached out to me and asked if I'd be interested in testing some recording equipment and doing a two-part interview. So if you follow me on Instagram, you would have seen that today, which is a Wednesday, my interview with John went live over on his show, The Hive Jive Podcast, which I very much recommend that you listen to and you subscribe and you follow on all the social medias. And if you did listen and you are joining me because you liked what you heard, welcome. I'm very happy to have you and I hope that my episodes will be of use to you. And for my regular listeners, you know I've talked about John before, you know I love that podcast, I've referenced them a lot. And so now you get to hear all the burning questions that I had for John. So I cover things such as how did John get into beekeeping? How did he start his businesses? What led him to podcasting? Does he have a educational background in biology or entomology? And if not, you know, what did he study and how did that become incorporated in what he's now doing? It was a lot of fun. I was absolutely flattered that John even listens to my little podcast and can reference previous episodes. That was great. And um, I just want to give a heads up that the equipment we used was a little different. So the sound quality might be a little off in places. Occasionally we might talk over each other a little bit because of the distance involved. And my editing isn't quite as slick as I would like it to be. So sometimes the transition might be a little more jarring than what you're used to but please bear with me I had so much fun speaking to John getting to know him a little bit better and I think that there's a lot of great information in today's episode that if you like beekeeping if you like John if you've listened to the Hive Jive podcast you're going to really enjoy so without further ado here is my interview with John Swan host of the Hive Jive podcast I'm here right now with John Swan, and you are currently vice president of the Texas Beekeepers Association. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes, indeed. Okay. And you are a certified master beekeeper in Texas and a co-host of the Hive Jive podcast, which I've mentioned many times on my show. (laughs) Yes, you have. Thank you for that. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I love you guys. I mean, I was listening to the first year you guys did was my first year as well. So I got to follow along kind of with Ken, Mm -hmm. which is great. And um, you are also the owner operator of Wicked Bee Apiary, Wicked Bee Removal and Wicked Bee Honey, right? That is correct. Yeah. Um, Apparently, I don't have enough hobbies. (laughs) No. Uh, Well, I mean, surely that's um, business, not just hobbies. It it all grew out of a hobby um, and consumed my life and then had to become its own business, basically. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's one of those labors of love. Yes. So almost that sounds like a lot of beekeepers I know, the whole it consumed my life aspect of it. 
Yeah, I failed on the I wanted one hive to start with, <laughs> and I really failed. <laughs> <laughs> um, so right now you are you're in Austin, Texas. I am. Um, yes, but I believe if I remember correctly that you're not originally from there. Correct. Um, I I came here, so started off in the southwest corner of Kansas and was raised between there and the panhandle of Oklahoma. And then I went to college in Lawrence, Kansas at uh, Kansas University or the University of Kansas, rather. And then I spent several years in Kansas City, Missouri, um, mm -hmm. went from there to Dallas, Texas. And the plan was to go from Dallas to Austin, but I had a four-year detour back to Kansas City and then ultimately finally made it down here to Austin. Oh, wow. Okay. So why did you aim for Austin? I'm not a cold weather bird. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> I was migrating south. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that makes sense. Um, but in terms of going to university, now you didn't uh, study biology, right? I believe you were studying, like, was it broadcasting? It was. It was broadcasting and mass communication. I uh, Insects, other than finding them fascinating, were never on my curriculum or even anywhere on my radar. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so then how did you fall into beekeeping? Oh, well, um, how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. Can you keep the answer below 10 minutes for now? Maybe, maybe so. Okay. Uh, so starting off, um, like if we rewound backwards a little ways, some of my family thinks it's really funny because when I was younger, um, wasps terrified me and I was always afraid I was going to get stung. I don't think I ever actually did, but my older brother was evil and he <laughs> thought it would be fun to, you know, shove me out the front door of the farmhouse and lock it. And we had orange paper wasp nests all around the front porch. And so I would be afraid to get off the porch because I'd have to go through the wasps, but I couldn't get back in the house. And he was thinking it was, you know, just the, the funnest thing ever. And I was like in tears. And somehow oh, I grew no. up to, yeah, I, I grew up to end up making this job out of things that, you know, try to sting you and hurt you. And they suddenly don't bother me. But um, so in, in Kansas City was when it kind of started. I was up there and I had a friend that actually did beekeeping and, and had honey, but I never knew it. I didn't realize that, that they actually had that as a hobby. And I was kind of going through and reading a book. Um, <laughs> and this is awesome. This is like the most random place for this to come from. I was reading an Anne Rice book that was part of the Vampire Chronicles. So again, nothing to do with beekeeping whatsoever. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's very, I mean, I am aware of those books. I have read a number of those books, but I am very befuddled as to how that led you to beekeeping. <laughs> so I believe it is in the book Pandora. Uh, there is a, a chapter or a scene in the book where she goes and she's kind of run away She's in mourning. The whole world is kind of in mourning because I believe like a great poet or philosopher had just died. And she's at this little cabin kind of hiding out. And there's a little beehive out there by the cabin. And she goes out there and she sets down beside it because the hum and the buzz of the bees is very consoling to her. And as the sun sets, all of the bees come out of the hive and they form this humanoid structure. And it literally reaches out to her and tries to console her and let her know that it's going to be okay. And I had enough knowledge about honeybees to see how poignant of a kind of representation that was because we don't look at the bee 
the honeybee itself as the individual bee, we look at it as the entire organism. And that little bee is just a cell in this greater body or this greater thing. And I was like, that is so fascinating. And then finding out that my friend kept bees as well, kind of spurred me on. And I was like, this is really cool. And like all of us, I started off with, the, well, I really like honey and it would be so awesome to have my own hive. So I started kind of looking into it and doing research. And again, like most of us found that it was completely and utterly the wrong time of year to start. And so that set me back. So I'm like, well, I got time to study and to learn. And I carried on this course for literally five years where it was either I was in an apartment and could not have them, or I had the space for them, but it was the wrong time of year, or I didn't have the funds at the time. Um, it was all over the place like that. And during that time, I did go and help out my friend. I went and did a little bit of help with some people that I found kind of in the area that it would let me come out and you know put my hands in a hive and learn. And meanwhile, checked out literally every single book that the county and city libraries had on beekeeping and read all of them. Um, so I, I was trying to supplement my desire to have them by living vicariously through any other means I could find. <laughs> so, um, but when I got to Austin, ultimately, it was something that I was actually looking on Craigslist and I was not looking for bees. I don't even remember what I was looking for, but everything kind of came to this screeching halt because I saw this post from a gentleman down in San Antonio, which is about an hour, hour and a half south of Austin. And he still had spring nukes. And that's all it said was spring nukes available. And I was like, wait, nukes, N-U-C-S, those are bees. Like, he has bees. I can actually do this. I've got a house. I've got a yard. It's perfect. And so I went ahead and reached out to the gentleman, told him I wanted one colony. And uh, he responded back and said, you know, he still had some available. That was awesome. We set it up. And it was still going to be, that was a February, I believe, when I did that. And this would have been of 2015. So at this point, I had been playing with other people's bees, reading everything I could find and doing as much studying as I could for five years, but never actually had my own beehive. And mm -hmm. then in uh, February of 2015, I ordered my first colony. It arrived in May of that same year. And I started going to the local beekeepers associations and doing meetings with them. So I did their March meeting and then I did their February, or sorry, going backwards in time. I did their March meeting and then I did their um, April meeting. And their April meeting is always a big hands-on demonstration. This is how you build hives and assemble them and put frames together. And having all of this other information stuck in my head, when we started doing like open conversations and Q&A, I either could answer some of the questions or the way that I purposely phrased the questions that I had kind of alluded to the fact that there was maybe a little bit more going on than, you know, I'm brand, brand new. And so I had a gentleman approach me after the meeting and he is somebody that I have affectionately referred to as an SOB in the most loving way possible um, <laughs> because he he's a great guy. His name was Jack. And at the time, about mid seventies, I think 74 ish uh, when I first met him, and he said, hey, look, like, uh, you know, I don't know how long you've been keeping bees. And I started laughing. I was like, um, my bees don't get here till next month. Wow. And he was like, well, I just would have assumed you've been keeping bees for years because you seem very knowledgeable about it. And I explained the whole scenario. And he said that he does bee removals and he's getting up there in his age. He can't really do some of the lifting and heavy work and stuff anymore. And he would really love to have an apprentice. And he couldn't pay me much except for in honey or bees. 
And I was like, okay, well, I'll give it a shot. We can see how that goes. So I went out, did one removal with the gentleman. And then that next weekend, he calls me up and he says, hey, we had another call. Um, here's the address. Here's the information. My wife and I are headed out of town, but you totally got this. It's going to be simple. And the SOB has never done another one since. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Ouch. So... Yeah, so I wanted a hive in my backyard. Um, the association convinced me I needed to have two. So in March, I ordered a second one so I could have that compare and contrast. And then this gentleman convinces me to come and do bee removals and then kind of just offloads it onto me. So that became a pastime hobby and then eventually a part-time job and then a full-time job. And I ended that first year with 13 colonies instead of one. And wow. Yeah, and that was that was like exhilarating, but at the same time, kind of like what's going on here. The second year I hit 25, and the third year I hit 50. And about the middle of the second year was I woke up one day and I was like, oh my God, what have I done with my life? <laughs> <laughs> I uh I was working initially full-time as a commercial lender, uh administrative assistant for the commercial lending department at a bank, and not you know, having anything else to do, I then took that on as a hobby and the hobby continued to grow and grow and grow until it was rivaling both my income and my time. And mm -hmm. I finally made a decision one day that I would much rather have my out, my office be the outdoors and nature than, you know, stuck in a desk or a cubicle or inside of a building. And so I kind of took a really deep breath and closed my eyes and cut all ties and made a leap into just full on beekeeping. Um, I had started the master beekeeper program at that point as well and worked my way up through the association to a vice president of the local county association and then ultimately the president for a three-year term there and became a director of the Texas Beekeepers Association and then ultimately now the vice president for them. Um, got my certification to be a certified master beekeeper. All of the hives obviously are going to produce honey, so that's where the Wicked Bee Honey came from. And then the removal service was kind of actually the initial brainchild behind all of it that was driving it and then the apiary itself came along and i started doing training and consultations and ultimately got to a point where i was like well now where do i take this and uh that's mm -hmm. kind of where the the podcast was born and that's the only part of all of this that relates back to my actual education <laughs> it right, is the podcast. Right. <laughs> and i was gonna ask because considering that you have this broadcasting degree then does that mean that you are the one who decided that a podcast would be a good idea yes yeah um i had originally there's a couple of people here that uh, i helped one lady write a book and i got featured in just a little section of it and that was actually part of something that i was able to use for the master beekeeper program as well to show some of the outreach things that i have done and mm -hmm. There was another lady here as well that had written a book, and I was kind of like, well, I mean, I I could write a book. Um, I still probably will at some point down the road, but what else could I do that's unique? Because a, a lot of times when it gets into beekeeping, it's really hard to figure out what is your niche. And, mm -hmm. you know, be it everybody who raises bees is going to have honey, and everybody that has honey can sell it. And, you know, if you get enough colonies, you can sell bees. And But how do you distinguish yourself from that? And so it was kind of the same concept. I was like, well, I think, you know, podcasts are really big. Uh, this was uh, a couple of years ago when the idea first came in. And I was like, podcasts are really big right now. They're growing. I think it would be really fun. And it was initially going to be the Wicked Bee podcast to fit in with, you know, all the other Wicked Bee things that I had created. 
And uh, in the middle of the planning for it, a gentleman called me up, which was Ken. And he started off because he had went into the local feed store and said that he was interested in getting bees and they sold some of the equipment. And he said, who can I talk to? And they literally have like my business card tacked to the wall and they just constantly give out my information. So I get all these random calls from people for different things, but he called up and he's like, Hey, I'm Ken Milam and I do the, you know, the great outdoors and the Sunday sportsman radio show. And I want to do beekeeping. And, you know, we, we talked about all this stuff and, and he said, you know, would you be a guest on the show and come in and maybe we could talk about what beekeeping is like. And I said, well, if you're just getting started, it would be really cool to maybe do an ongoing series where I could be maybe a reoccurring guest. And that way people could see it evolve as we evolved in the, the whole process. And he was like, you know, the radio station's been wanting me to do one of those pod thingies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless. I was like, a podcast? And he goes, yeah, 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 one of those. And I said, well, I'm actually in the process of creating a podcast. And if you would be willing to kind of be my guinea pig for it, I would be more than happy to completely like revamp it and we could focus on this instead of what I had originally planned. And he was like, okay, let's do it. And it, it just, that was it. Like from there, it just kind of exploded and took off on its own. Oh, wow. And you're so like ahead of me here because I was, one of my questions was going to be like, tell me about Ken and how the two of you met. And <laughs> so that definitely answers that question. Um, I literally, but... I had no clue of Ken. I had no prior knowledge of him. I had never even met him in person when we first had this conversation. And I was like, oh, what the hell? I'll come in and I'll do a radio show with you. And then, you know, let's talk about this podcast and how it will work. And so we mm -hmm. did not know of each other until that day. And uh, and then ever since then, I talked to him more on the phone, I think, than I do any other person on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes sense. I mean, because you're also, you're mentoring him as well as, you know, working with him on the show. So I'm sure there's a lot that you have to talk about. Oh, yes. Yes. I get constant text messages, phone calls. His his favorite thing to do is to send a text message and then immediately call you. And you haven't even been able to read the message yet, like halfway through it. And then your phone starts ringing and it's him. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> give me give me a chance. Let me read my messages. <laughs> yeah, I also remember you saying a number of times that one of his other favorite things to do is to say, hey, would it be a good idea if I could do X? And then I did it. I did like... I did it or I bought five of them. That's okay, right? Yes. Yeah. He starts off with a hypothetical question. Would this be something we should do or could I do or should I not? And I'll give him an honest answer. And then he either follows it up immediately or it, usually with him, it's a day or two later. And he'll be like, well, I mean, I kind of already ordered 50 of them. So oh, man. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> now, you also work with other people to help them with their hives, but you do that on a professional basis, right? Correct. Uh, I do consultation and training services with beekeepers. Instead of bringing them to a, a central place and doing a training on a foreign hive, I decided people get a lot more out of it if it is their house, their hive, their bees, and they can go through and explain to me the exact problems and the exact things that they see on a daily basis. And we can do this one-on-one. -on -one. And the way that it's kind of structured is that 
it it's completely their time and it's up to them. If they want to talk to me the entire time, that's perfectly fine. If they want me to physically walk them through doing a mic check or doing a split, then that's what we do. Um, and sometimes it's just, hey, I just need the reassurance. Can you come out and just look at them? I think they're okay, or I think I've seen this. And so that's kind of where that evolved from was that aspect. Okay. And your podcast, obviously, I mean, you know, I've talked about it on my show because it's one of my favorite podcasts and um, I got to follow along with Ken during my own journey. But obviously the Hive Dive, it's aimed towards education. The idea is that whether you're a seasoned beekeeper or a new beekeeper, you hopefully are going to learn something through what you and Ken talk about on the show. That's the goal. Um, and then obviously having a, a little bit of entertainment dispersed in there as well. Um, he likes to call it infotainment. We infotain you. Um, yeah, that's the that's kind of the whole concept of it. And I've actually been astounded at some of the feedback that we've gotten from people that have been keeping bees for a decade or more. And they're like, I love the show. And, you know, I, I, I do this or I do that or I never looked at it this way. And it blows my mind because the concept of somebody who's been keeping bees for longer than me going through and, and saying, wow, I really needed that, or I really enjoy it. I didn't expect that ever. So that's, it's very flattering. Yeah. I would, I always feel like if I ever had someone who, you know, has been keeping bees for a long time, say something like that to me, I, I would absolutely be blown away, but it also makes sense because, you know, I've mentioned on my show, sometimes I have a neighbor a couple of doors down who's been keeping bees about 25 years, maybe longer. And he's been a great resource for me and we talk back and forth, but I am consistently reminded of the fact that a number of beekeepers have been doing the same thing for the past 25 years. And now there's so much information about like what we need to do for varroa mites and what kind of treatments there are and the treatments are always changing and the testing is different. And so many people who've just been chugging along, it's like a whole new world for them. That's very true. Um, anybody who's kind of in the mindset of, oh, well, my grandfather kept bees. In today's world, these are not your grandfather's bees. The The genetics have changed, the parasites and diseases have changed, and, you know, things like varroa mite and small hive beetle weren't a thing back then, and people didn't have to worry about them. So it's a lot harder to keep bees alive now than it was back in your grandfather's day. So there is a lot of that. And there's there's people that I actually look to and respect for that too, because they have lived through that entire process. And hopefully most of them have actually adapted as it's gone on. Um, but yeah, I think if you were keeping bees, you know, 60 years ago, 70 years ago, and then decided all of a sudden you were going to jump back into it, you'd be like, what on earth is this? This is not what I remember. <laughs> Yeah. And I also, I hear a lot from people. I mean, I experienced it and I hear from people now who have reached out to me for advice that, you know, the learning curve is so steep with beekeeping. You know, you can't just grab a hive, dump some bees in it, and then that's it. You're done. There's so much management. There's so much education. It is insane. You're absolutely correct, but it does remind me of a story, and I, I think I've told this on the, the podcast before, but this was the very first beekeeping meeting that I ever had to lead myself as the vice president for the association, um, of, of the local county association, not the one that I'm in now, but they uh, there was a meeting, a gentleman in the back of the room raised his hand, said he had a question, and he, he says, so I'm really just befuddled by this. I went and I bought a flow hive and it has been in my backyard for three months and there's still not a single bee back there. What am I doing wrong? 
and I really <laughs> thought I was being punked. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if this is serious. I don't know if I'm being set up. I don't know how to answer that without offending him. <laughs> right. Did he think it was, like, what's that movie? Is it Kevin Costner? It's like, if you build it, they will come. Yes. Build a dream. Yes. Build a dream. Yes. yes. Yeah, so yes. did he think, you know, you just put a hive out? And then, but to be fair as well, I can't count how many people are just like, oh, I left a, a hive body out because I didn't feel like bringing it inside and a swarm moved in. And I was like, well, yeah. that was lucky. Yeah, and that's absolutely great. Usually those are also used hives that already smell yes. like bees and have propolis and stuff on them. But this was a brand new, fresh out of the factory, you know, still just it cracked me up um and i had to explain to him i was like oh well it's it's not quite the same concept as a birdhouse um the bees though in rare occasions they could move in but really you have to buy a package of bees and install them into it and i mean the, the like dumbfounded expression that came over his face but I, i've had that twice um one of my wow. very first meetings and one of my very last meetings at that same association, which I found very fitting. It was like a perfect circle. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, that you started on that note, you ended on that note. Yeah. So considering how much of what you do is geared towards education, and it's obviously something that you really enjoy, um, but do you also feel that you're learning more about beekeeping through educating other people? Absolutely. Um, there are times where somebody will send in something that I've never actually seen before and, you know, be like, what is this situation? Or they'll pose a question, especially now that the podcast itself is global. Um, we get questions from regions that I wouldn't have a concept about living here in central Texas. So it, it causes me to go out there and do a lot more research. And then also to try to come up with some of the different subjects and guests and things like that. I'm constantly going through and reading. And it's actually, it is something that I think you probably understand this better than anybody really because what you're doing right now with Tom Seeley's book and going through and doing the the chapter by chapter kind of book review on it by doing that you're not only digesting it but you're also reinforcing it and helping yourself remember the different aspects of it while also then helping other people learn it as well and so for a lot of things in life sometimes the best way to learn it is to teach it right all oh, right that makes perfect sense all right, let me see. I have some other questions for you. Uh, let's see. Okay, so let's say that you're at a party and you want to wow everyone with a beekeeping story. Is there one story that you tell people? <laughs> um, sometimes I feel like I'm not allowed to talk about bees if I'm at a party. My friends are like, dude, no. <laughs> I so feel you. I actually have started asking people. So they'll ask me something about my girls or about the hive. And I'll be like, okay, how much time do I have to tell you? Do you want me to tell you under five minutes? Or can I talk at you endlessly? And they're like, yeah, can I limit it to like five minutes? I'm like, yes, we will do that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those, was that just a polite question? Or you do you truly want to know? Because I can give you a short answer, <laughs> or I can actually tell you. Um, so probably... It really depends on kind of the the setup of what's going on. But one of the I've had a lot of stories from the removal world more than anything, where I've had some really dumb moments and I've done some things that, you know, kind of shocked myself. But I think one of them was my first experience with true Africanized bees and not, you know, somebody mowed over the top of a hive and they got mad and attacked them, but like true honest to God Africanized bees. And 
I kind of relate it to a cartoon because the the whole thing is it's very comical. Um, at least in my mind, in retrospect, it's very comical. But that day started off, it was a 4th of July, and I wanted to go out and do this one removal that turned into three removals. And there was two of them in a semi-trailer and one of them underneath the office of this place that kind of just did mechanical work on cars, but it was out in the country. And they had a neighbor right next door. I had been out there. I had done an evaluation. I had told them what to expect and that I would need access to electricity. And I was guaranteed somebody would be there that next morning. And there was not. So I'm out there snooping around. And I look across at the property next door. And there's a lady out there watering her garden. And I'm a little bit kind of miffed. And so I'm not paying as much attention to the lady. I just know that she's there. And I kind of holler across at her and I'm like, uh, sorry, ma'am, but you know, I, I need some electricity. I've got to remove some bees. And is there any way I can maybe plug into your outlet that you've got over here by your camper? And she starts screaming at me and she's like, you do bees? I have bees. You get over here right now. And I was like, uh, okay. And so as I walk around there, I, I really start kind of taking in the situation and I look at her and I'm like, wow, this is a strange duck. She has got a hat on. She's got on glasses and a scarf. She's got on long sleeve, uh, almost like a sweater down to her hands with gloves on, pants. And as I get there, she's like, look at me, look at me. You see this? This is how I have to water my yard. This is how I have to do things. I can't let my dogs outside. I can't let my grandkids come over. I'm so afraid of the bees. And I'm like, well, where are they? And she points to an actual Langstroth hive behind her house. And she tells me that when they first bought the property that year prior, these boxes were everywhere scattered throughout the property, but most of them have all rotted and fallen down now. And this one hive hadn't, it was still, it was literally held together with propolis and wax. I didn't know that at the time, but wow. um, from a distance, it looked like a perfectly fine hive body. And I told her, I was like, oh, well, that's not a problem. I can, I can just ratchet strap it down. I'll, I'll seal up the entrance, load it in the back of the truck when I'm done today. And, and I'll take it off the property, you know, in exchange for you letting me use your electricity. And she's like, okay. So I go and I spend all day doing these three removals and trying to get everything taken care of. And then end of the day, I'm hot, I'm sweaty, I'm tired, I'm covered in ick because the one underneath the shed, I had to get underneath it. So everything's falling on top of me and ants are crawling around and it just, it wasn't a great day, but I get out there to her place and I'm like, okay, this is the easiest part of the day. And I back the truck up maybe 10, 15 foot from the hive. I get out and I pull out a roll of black um, Gorilla tape, basically duct tape. And I undo it and it goes whoosh, And that's all it took. And from 15 foot away, five black tentacles came out of places in this hive that I didn't even realize were open. And they all came straight at my head, hit oh my me God. in the veil and covered my entire suit until I, I looked like there was no more white. It was just solid bees everywhere. I was covered in them. And I'm standing there frozen. And there's this little voice in my head, kind of like uh, Dora, or Dory, Dora, <laughs> Dory. <laughs> there we go. My brain died. Um, kind of like Dory in the whole just keep swimming, except it was just keep breathing. And oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, one little voice was sitting over here going, it's okay. It's okay. They can't get into the suit. And the other one is screaming, oh God, I hope they can't get into the suit. And <laughs> I didn't know what to do and I couldn't go to the lady's house because now I'm literally covered in bees. And I had remembered at one point, somebody telling me, get inside your vehicle because the UV tent on your glass messes with their perception of the sun and they will leave you and go to the window. And it's counterintuitive because 
you don't want to be trapped inside an enclosed space with thousands of bees that are trying to hurt you, but it actually works. So I jumped in the truck, cranked the AC on high, all the bees leave me and go to the windows. And then I start this little game of roll the window down an inch and let, you know, 50 of them out and then roll it back up and then roll it down an inch and let 50 of them out until I could get enough bees out of the vehicle that I could see. And then I proceeded just to leave out of there like a bat out of hell, hit the highway, rolled all the windows down and hit 85 mile an hour and blew the rest of them out of the truck. Oh, wow. So that's probably one of my most um, entertaining, like it, it seemed life-threatening at the time, but overall in the greater scheme of things with my suit on and being fully prepared, I was okay. But yeah, that's that's usually one of the stories that I will tell people when they're, I'm like, you know, if you really want to know truly what Africanized bees look like and how they respond in such a defensive manner, <laughs> check this out. <laughs> yes. And that also answers another question I had, which was if there was one mistake that really stood out to you as a beekeeper that you had made. And I think that probably covers it. That's uh yeah, that, that would be one of many. Um, I definitely have my moments just like we all do where I get into the middle of something and I'm like, oh, that was a really bad idea. <laughs> yes. I mean, I think with any hobby, there's always that moment, isn't there? Because we all get a little complacent sometimes. And so we do something maybe on autopilot and then kind of halfway through the chaos, we realize, oh, no, this was all a very terrible idea. Yeah. I'm just going to reach down there real quick and I'm going to flip your entrance around. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and that's I haven't, no problem. Yeah, it's none at all. I haven't smoked them. I haven't done anything else. I'm covered in pheromones from all the other things I've done that day. And uh, yeah, just it'll be just two seconds. And then, you know, suddenly you're you're either got stingers all over your hand or you're covered in bees or <laughs> they're like just very not enthused with what you have just tried yeah. to do. Yeah, I have all kinds of little little moments like that for sure. Yeah, although I have to know, did you go back and deal with that hive? I did. Um, yeah. I came up with a game plan and nice. I decided that since how it was rotten and they were able to get out of everywhere, there was no way I was going to be able to seal it up. So I went and got brand new equipment and I had empty frames with no foundation in them. And I did my rescue bar method where I had the wire hanging apparatus already built onto the frame. And I went back out there with the intent of no matter how bad it was going to be, I was going to take this sucker down all the way to the base and I was going to cut out and save any of the comb just like I would with a removal and put it into proper frames, put it into a new hive box, and then wait on everybody to move back into that. And then that evening, I would then ratchet it, seal up the entrance and put it in the truck like I had originally planned. And how did that go? So oddly enough, I swear to God, they were possessed the first day I was out there because when I went back, they were the sweetest bees I'd ever seen in my life. <laughs> no way. Yeah. yeah, they were. I don't know if they were just having a bad day or if it was because I was covered in so many pheromones from doing three other colonies prior to that. Um, if yeah. the, the barometric pressure just wasn't right or I, yeah, I don't know. But I walk back out there. I waited all the way up to the hive. Nobody came out. I gently puffed and smoked inside. They kind of roared up like any colony would. I opened up the lid. A few bees flew out and they kind of flew around me, but none of them tried to cover me like they had that first day. So I was very, um, I was actually, <laughs> I was so prepared for it to be a nightmare that I was almost disappointed whenever they were just like an average colony all of a sudden. <laughs> Well, I can imagine your adrenaline was probably pumping. You, I'm sure you geared yourself up with like double protection or something. And then you get there and they're like, hello, we're lovely bees. Let us just move yeah. gently into this new hive. 
Yep. Yeah, they were they were totally cool with it. And we got them in, got them off the lady's property. She was very grateful. Um, but I did learn, I, I got some work ethic. I think it's probably always been part of my nature in a lot of it. But when it comes to this kind of stuff, especially in removals and with bees where they are really mean, um, or, you know, even when they're not, the health and safety of the people around you is still paramount no matter what's going on. And so I'm very good at making sure that I want to make sure the surrounding is okay. I want to make sure everybody is aware of what's going on. You can't be standing down there right up close trying to see. You can watch from inside or from a very safe distance. If a bee comes around, you know, we, we give instructions on all this, but I'm also very big on we finish what we start. And no matter what the situation seems to be, especially if you've opened up the side of a structure or somebody's house, you can't just bail and leave it because you're suddenly in over your head. So you've got to figure out, you know, how can I resolve this and solve the situation without anybody getting hurt? And, you know, I've now spent several years working under those types of uh, conditions and, and moral constraints. And every once in a while, I will get a call from somebody who decided they wanted freebies, quote unquote. And so they took up an offer to go and remove them from the side of somebody's house. And then the bees chased them a mile down the road and they call me in a panic out of nowhere and say, hey, this is what I've done. What do I do? And my response is suck it up and go back and finish what you started. <laughs> right. Right. I do actually go help them, but that's usually the first response <laughs> they get. I love that yeah, clarification. I no, I, I do not leave yeah. them to drown in bees. I do go back and help. Yeah, I do. I do usually go help them. But that is usually the first thing I tell them is, well, you, you've got to finish what you start. You got to suck it up. I know it sucks. You're getting stung. You know, you're overwhelmed. Um, but this is what it's like. And now, you know, for future reference, you know, and then I'll go out there and and show up and we'll walk through the whole process and, and I'll kind of guide them through it. And uh, most of them don't ever do another removal again when it's all said and done. I am not surprised. I I think I'm I have a more realistic view of removals. I've, I haven't done one, but one of my teachers does them. And um, it's sort of, you know, as, it's almost like a side business for her. And, um, you know, she's always really clear from the beginning she's like you don't do removals for free she's like because nope. aside from the fact that you never know what you're going to see when you start opening things up and you could be there you know a day two days but also because you know your time is precious and it's not freebies it's a huge amount of work absolutely that is the absolute truth um even a swarm of bees hanging in a tree is technically not free because at the very least you've got to have something to put them in and most of the time, if you're not building it yourself, if you're buying it pre-assembled, that's a hundred to one hundred and fifty dollars investment right there for those quote unquote free bees that are hanging from the tree. They've got to have a home. Absolutely. Yeah, my um, my bee neighbor actually, he is. I, I've been encouraging him to write an article about how he captures swarms because he just has a magic touch with it. And um, he builds his own boxes and, you know, he's kind of experimented with different heights and trees and different environments. And, it, and it's really interesting. And so I told him, you know, very least consider writing something and you can share it at your local club because he's a very active member. And um, he actually called me not so long ago and he's like, hey, have you checked on your bees today? And I was like, yes, why? And he's like, because I have a swarm right here on my property and I'm wondering if it's from your hives. And I was like, well, no, no, I can guarantee you there's no swarms because I would have absolutely have seen it. And um, I said, you know, 
why do you it's so nice of you to think about me and think about my bees and he's just like uh well they're actually really high in the tree and if they were from your hives i was gonna make you come over and take them down <laughs> and i was like okay fair enough but they're not and i was like do you need some help though and he you know he had it covered so he went up there and got them himself but i was i did feel a bit of relief because he would have had me go over there and climb as high as i could have to shake those girls down and i was not prepared for it <laughs> Yeah, I have uh, I have been lucky enough to run across a couple of individuals in my time that are super, super interested in bees. And both of them actually started off, they didn't have bees of their own when they first started kind of working with me. And they did an apprenticeship and then eventually worked their way up into being actual paid employees. And the one that that probably everybody on the podcast hears me talk about the most is Jorge. And he cracks me up, though, because that kid... I say kid, he's actually, he's my age or older, so he's not really a kid, but um, he goes out there and he just gives it all he's got. And, you know, some of the days we may be on a job site for 12 hours and he will work himself almost to exhaustion. And I'm like, wow, he's never coming back. And we'll get in the truck and be driving back. And, and all of a sudden he's like, man, when's the next one? I just can't wait. I'm so excited. I love this. And I'm like, man, you're insane. Wow. That's great, though. I love that level of enthusiasm. Me too. It it and it it comes in very handy. He is literally a godsend. He helps out so much. Um, and there's a lot of things that I either couldn't do or or should not do um without him there, just for the simple fact that I do get myself into some really dumb situations sometimes. I've been on the top of a chimney, dismantling the chimney from the top down, and then realized that I had destabilized said chimney, that I was laying prone on basically. And I kind of felt it sway side to side and then it stopped. And I was like, wow, this is one of those situations where this was a really bad idea. And uh, if I did not have somebody else there and something did, heaven forbid, happen, um, mm -hmm. that could be very, very bad. So I do always try to at least have somebody with me for that sake, if not anything else. Right. That, that's definitely a that's a good thing to mention in terms of safety for anyone who might be listening, who's been, you know, climbing up to catch swarms on ladders or anything, you know, cause I, I have this shed on the back of my property and it's kind of falling down. And every now and then I have to run up there because, um, they, <laughs> the raccoons in my area are using the top level as a latrine, which is something I learned that raccoons do. I had no idea before this, but raccoons like to poop communally. So they all go there and they poop together, um, which is lovely. Thank you so much. And every now and then I have to go up and fix the holes because actually cleaning it is a whole process. Um, they have this very dangerous parasite in their feces that gets into your lungs if you don't wear proper equipment. So I'm just patching holes right now. And I go up there with my phone because I'm like, well, God forbid the stairs give way one day, I, I can call for help. And then it occurred to me, what if I land on my phone? Then what do That's I do? That's very true. Yeah. Or it, it breaks so, when it falls or exactly. you can't reach so, it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also a rule in this house. My husband, we, so we have a chainsaw because we have a lot of trees and um, the limbs fall down, you know, a fair amount and we need to, you know, chop them up. And we have a chainsaw and the rule is that no one is allowed to use the chainsaw without um, someone else being there, particularly me. I'm never allowed to use the chainsaw because I am famously clumsy. So it is off limits for me. I can totally understand that. Yes. So like my husband actually went back to work um, 
you know, everything's kind of been shut down here and uh, he works at the, the local university and he had to go in for his first in-person class in months yesterday. And he was out of the house for 30 minutes and I was sharpening a knife. I managed to like slice open my finger in the time that he was oh. gone. I know, I mean, it didn't need stitches, but it's pretty bad. And so he came back and I'm like, you can't ever leave. Look what happens when you leave me unattended for like an hour. Well, here not too long ago, you did your first ever honey harvest, and I did see that you actually uh, managed to cut yourself and one of the frames, and <laughs> so I'm seeing a pattern here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is what I'm saying. It's it's one of those things. So there's this running joke between me and my husband, because when we were on our honeymoon, we went to uh, the Cayman Islands, which was incredible. Do you remember the days when you could actually fly and go on holiday to places? Do you remember when that Right, existed? travel be around people yeah yes a groups of people all together yes it was uh, those were the days but um we went to grand cayman and my husband and i love to explore abandoned places and we happened to come across a um i think it was like an old hotel or resort that had been destroyed by um i think a hurricane or a tsunami or something and so we were like wandering through the the wreckage area and all of the cement that had been broken underneath you could see the coral so we were fascinated and we were, you know, looking at all this and we got close to the edge of this pool that was completely empty and it was filled with green iguanas, which is why we were looking at them because we're both reptile nuts. And yes. suddenly I heard this like, you know, buzzing by me and I wasn't really paying much attention. And I look up and there's a swarm of, at the time I thought they were bees. And how we tell the story is that it's bees, but in hindsight, I'm actually pretty sure they were wasps. But we thought it was bees, and this swarm of bees just comes charging at me. Oh, and no. I, yeah, and I was, you know, I don't like flying things when I'm not in a bee suit, and this was long before my beekeeping days. <laughs> and so we had like picked our way across the shattered cement and coral to get out on this ledge area very carefully but once that swarm started chasing me I just flew across and my husband's watching with his hands out like no 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 because in his mind he can see me falling breaking a leg breaking an arm we're in the hospital you know the honeymoon's over it's going to be a nightmare and somehow I just like ran across all this coral and got back to him you know flailing my arms and screaming and obviously they left me alone after that. And we still mention it. So the joke was that I am only graceful when being chased by bees. <laughs> and now I found my way to beekeeping. So yeah. I'm like, yes, my bees are keeping me graceful. You, you now have grace in your life right there on your homestead. Yes. <laughs> it's very true. And actually, this leads me to another question that I wanted to ask you. Um, which was, do you, are you married? And if not, does your, or I suppose if you're married, does your spouse or your partner or whoever, are they involved in beekeeping with you? Uh, I am not married. Um, but my, my partner does not have anything to do with beekeeping or whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> it is more of a, if you need help, I will be more than happy to help you with whatever you need. However, if you don't need help, I am kindly going to stay way over here or at home <laughs> and you yes. can go deal with all the crazy things. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, I'm sure there are other things that you can connect over and other shared hobbies. Yes, actually. And, and that's actually kind of one of the cool things is that we each do have our own passions and our own drive that we go through and do. And we have plenty of things that we share together, but it also gives us this 
this other thing that is still our own and we can each go and, and kind of be completely consumed by that thing. And for me, I, you know, I grew up out in the country. Um, I grew up playing with rocks and sticks and, and I had a great imagination. So to go out in the backyard and play in the garden and, and dig in the dirt or mess with the bees and go out to the apiary, um, I do find myself sometimes out at the apiary and it's like, I'll be the only one there. The sun's getting ready to set. This is also why there ends up being a lot of Instagram photos of sunsets at the apiary <laughs> because mm -hmm. I will be there and then I will just stop and I will sit down on like the tailgate of the truck and I'll sit there for an hour and I'm just like, it is so peaceful and it is quiet and it is beautiful. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I should probably go home at some point. <laughs> yeah, I I do relate to that a lot though. I often feel we've we've lived on this property and it's the first time for us owning a home and it's the first time for us owning any kind of land and um and I've just jumped in you know so I'm doing the chickens and the bees and you know I have the reptile breeding business and I'm in the yard whenever I can and uh, I just so often just stop and look at things on my property like bumblebees on the sunflowers or you know the way the light's coming through the fog in the morning and in the fall and I just think my god this is incredible and I get to do this every day Sorry, I hit a button that I shouldn't have hit. Um, yes, that and that is actually that's kind of my favorite thing is to to be able to see that and to see the beauty in nature and to be like, wow, this is my life. I get to do this, and this yeah. is you couldn't ask for anything more, especially for somebody like me that you know is a little country bumpkin that grew up out in the sticks and and likes to play with sticks. <laughs> so it works out great. <laughs> nothing, nothing wrong with playing with sticks. I think that's perfectly respectable. Okay, so my last question for you, I'm actually going to steal a question from one of my other favorite podcasts, which is Pollination, which is by the Oregon State University Extension Service. Have you ever listened to that? I have not, but I have heard you mention it on your podcast multiple times, and I keep telling myself, I'm like, I'm going to have to check that out at some point. <laughs> it's so good. I love the fact that it's very... Um, science and research driven so there's a lot of like this article was recently published or this peer-reviewed study recently came out and then they connect with the people involved in those studies so um i think they were one of the first people who talked about the um you know discovery about how varroa mites were feeding on fat bodies not on the blood of bees like people had previously believed oh uh, yeah so dr really samuel great. ramsey's research Yes, I always, I always like it's Ramsey, right? And then I start thinking about Game of Thrones, and I, I get distracted. So that's a um, whole other kind of Ramsey. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole different thing. We're not gonna, we're not gonna go there. This is um a family friendly podcast. Um, it is, but so, as one little segue, Game of yes. Thrones is a great representation of most things that occur inside the hive, especially when it deals with queens and swarming and virgin queens. It is all Game of Thrones. That's very true. I do agree with that. Yes. Uh, so Pollination, the host there, he often asks people who come on his show as a guest um, two questions. And the first one is, if there was one beekeeping tool that you absolutely couldn't do without, aside from protective gear, what would that tool be? Aside from protective gear, um, probably... So I, I have one of the um, J-hook, it's the style of the J-hook hive tools, and it would probably be that, because the one that I have is more of a weapon than it is a hive tool. <laughs> okay. It is 
It is very sharp um, when I first bought it, and I've only ever seen the this one. All the other ones tend to have this flat, curved tip to them so that you can kind of wrench up the frames. And this one yeah. comes to a sharp point. And then three of the four sides of the tip are extremely sharp as well. So the first time I got it, I put it into my pocket and then I bent wrong and it cut straight through my pocket and fell out on the ground. Um, so yeah, um, but that little tool comes in so handy when it comes to pretty much anything that I need to do. I can cut through things with it. I can pry things apart with it. I can scrape wax off of stuff with it. Um, I can use it as a crowbar. I think that is the one thing that usually I always have with me. And there's been a couple of times that I thought I left it somewhere or lost it. And I was like heartbroken. Um, Cause it's mm -hmm. like, it's not just a hive tool. It's my hive tool. Like that's my yes. tool. That makes perfect sense to me. I feel that way about my first hive tool as well. Okay, and then the other question, stealing again from pollination, the other question they like to ask guests is, if you could only recommend one book about bees or beekeeping, what would it be? Oh, Lord. Yes, that's how uh. most people respond. <laughs> so I would say that the, the book that I probably found the most fascinating would have been Honey Bee Democracy. And yes. pretty much anything by Tom Seeley is just fascinating by how far into the nuances of everything that's going on inside the colony, but then how he actually takes it and relates it back to humanity and the human brain and, and the way that we interact and things like that. I think that was probably one of the most fascinating books that I ever read because it made me stop and think about everything be related in a completely different manner than just there's this insect. You know, now it is, there's this insect that is so highly intelligent and we're only just beginning to scratch the surface of how they communicate and, and why and what they're saying and what they do. And, you know, the fact that they always make the right decision and there is no infighting and there is no lying and posturing and, and they're, you know, it's one and for all the good of the hive kind of thing. I think that was probably my favorite. Yeah, that is definitely one of the answers that comes up a lot on that show. And I and I do agree with it. I haven't actually finished that book yet, full disclosure. It's a but, big um, book. <laughs> yeah, it, and, and The Lives of Bees is like slowly killing me as well. So um, <laughs> that's one of those things, like I committed to it and I was, I'm was i refusing to back down. And I do want to get through the information, but it's it's been a long time since I was in school and my brain definitely needs, it's like a muscle that I haven't used. Now I'm like, hey, here's a ton of science, just figure it out. Yeah. So um, it's on my list of, of books to eventually finish. I think it is, it is definitely worth it. It can be a lot. Um, the, there is humor in there. It is dry humor, but there is humor in there. And, but it is, it is very technical and there's a lot of, of concepts in there that you have to kind of wrap your brain around. But I do think though, that it, out of all the different books, I think so far that is the one, because every other book to me is, you know, this is how I keep bees or, or this is how you should keep bees, or this is beekeeping in this climate, you know, and a lot of them are repetitive and go over the same sorts of things. And that one is not. That was, I think, one of the first times in a long time that I got a hold of a book and I was like, oh my God, these are things I never thought of, concepts I would have never attributed to the bee. So that's it. That's my answer. That's a good answer. Yeah, that's 
great answer and apparently you're in, in wonderful company there because like I said a lot of people absolutely love that book and it, it always comes up when that question is um, asked and I think I said that was my last question but I lied here's another one <laughs> um, <laughs> could you tell us do you have any particular plans in place for your business and for the podcast um, going through the end of this year and into 2021 I do um for my business, so my business at the moment, I'm actually, I, so my family has informed me that I'm not allowed to volunteer for anything else, especially if it's a position on a board anywhere. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, so, but I, I you know, I, this whole thing kind of started off and just drastically snowballed out of control. And so there was so many irons in the fire and so many different things to pay attention to and keep up with and whatnot. So I'm going to be kind of pulling some things back in business-wise this year. I think we've sold nukes for the past four years now. And I think this next year, um, with the exception of maybe one or two, we're not going to do that. We're going to go back and refocus on building our stock and building our own kind of lineages and, and get everything back up and going. Um, and that that is something that is actually, when we do our nukes, we actually, there are bees. We don't buy them wholesale from other places. We don't buy them from people that have done pollination services and and they're coming off of almonds and then split them up like there are bees they're there at the main apiary um and we go through and we cultivate that and then if you know if the colonies aren't doing good over winter then we're not going to sell that many bees we don't pre-sell them we wait until february usually to kind of open up those doors and i think actually this next year we're going to take a step back from that and we're not going to sell any of the colonies we're not going to sell the nukes we're going to do our own splits and focus on kind of recouping and regrowing our own stock there. Um, I've also dwindled down. The, I was starting to get pretty varied on some of the things that the the honey company itself would do or potentially like to do. And I'm kind of pulling that back in. I'm, I'm starting to see in some regards that less is more in some ways. It's better to focus on these one or two aspects and do them really, really well. And it was kind of starting to feel for a little while, like there were so many things going on. I, I couldn't focus on what I needed to. I was pulled in too many directions. So that's going to be kind of from the business aspect of it. Um, I have a really hard time <laughs> learning to let go. Um, I did a panel discussion at a conference. And one of the questions that was posed was like, you know, where do you see your business going and what are you doing and like how is it growing and and some of the other panelists all the other panelists actually were like oh we're we're doing this and we're going to do this and we're going to do that and they got to me and i started laughing and i was like i find myself more times than not wrapping the reins around my wrists as tight as i can and digging in my heels and resisting the growth because i already have so many things going on i don't know like i'm afraid to let it go and see what it will do on its own um, I am learning to trust some other people like Jorge and some of the other individuals and, you know, start delegating more of that responsibility out to those individuals. And that will help me a lot because then I'm not having the weight of this entire thing on me all the time. Um, but so that's from the, the business aspect. From the podcast aspect, um, this is where I get to play and this is where I get to kind of let loose and be goofy and I get to also kind of exhibit some of my creative outlets. Um, so we have been talking quite a while about t-shirts and uh, t-shirts are now officially a thing. And uh, I haven't Ooh. told anybody on my actual podcast that yet. So <laughs> there you go for that one. <laughs> but Oh, that's uh, exciting. Do you yeah, do the designs? So, 
I do, I do. Um, I've done a a whole myriad of different things in my lifetime, and I used to actually have a screen printing business that I had when I lived in Dallas, and I did T-shirts for a while, and so I've kind of been toying with that, and I did take it upon myself because I, I was initially I was like I can do this I have the knowledge I can buy a screen press and I can do silk screen you know um, the actual silk screen press as opposed to like a digital or a heat press or anything like that and so that was the original thing and then when I started talking about it my family was again like um no <laughs> you will figure out how to automate this process. And it will not be something that lives in the house or the garage or anywhere nearby here. And uh, so we did actually find a, a distributor and get them set up. And we've got the first initial designs loaded in there. COVID kind of threw that all for a loop and they they had a huge backlog of stuff and then they shut down for a while. Now they're back up and going and I got a notification. I received the test shirts in yesterday and I'm super mm -hmm. excited about that. So that is one avenue. We are also looking at kind of diversifying um, what we do and that's going to help me a little bit, be able to focus a little bit more on like our Patreon. There's a, the Hive Jive itself lives Mondays for free for everybody out there. But on Patreon is this whole other world of stuff that's going on. And sometimes I'm really good at staying on top of it. And then other times I'm really hard on myself because I'm like there, I needed to put out three more episodes that, you know, didn't happen. Um, so we're going to focus on that, but we're also going to start doing live episodes and this is one of the things that uh, how you and I kind of started talking today was we wanted to test out this platform that's going to allow our listeners to be able to log in, listen to a live show. And instead of it necessarily being a listener question episode where I read questions that were emailed in, we are going to have the ability for the listeners to actually call in and either type the message in the chat room of the, the actual live broadcast or physically talk to us on the show, which we did not previously have the ability to do. So I am super excited about that. I think that's going to be an awesome aspect and uh, addition to all things Hive Jive related, but that's probably the, the, the two biggest things at the moment, really. Yeah, I love that idea of doing the live shows, uh, particularly because I think that your listener question episodes, those somehow always end up being my favorites. Yeah. Um, you're not alone in that. When I go back and I look at the stats, there sometimes will be a week where there's this massive spike. And I'm like, what did we put out that week? Like, why why is that one so high? And it is a listener question episode. Yeah, I think it's because we're also, I mean, at least I feel that so many beekeepers, whether we've been doing this for a while or we're newbies like me, it's we're always looking for more information and I think we're also wondering because it can be quite a private hobby particularly if you're not in an area that has a lot of clubs or other beekeepers you're often wondering you know how am I doing who can I reach out to who can I ask about these things and so I can see why people would tune in for listeners episodes because they want that reassurance that other people have the same questions they're interested to see what other people and now other people around the world are looking at inside their hives. And so it ends up just being a great resource for all of us. It is. And it's it's always fun for me because it's such a wide breadth of 
different questions from different scenarios in different locations. And so it's always really entertaining to see what somebody else is doing, how they're doing it. Um, and, and a lot of them have funny little stories that go along with it. You know, they're like, I've got a question, but here's why, because here's the dumb thing that I did that led to the question. Um, and those are always really entertaining because it's exactly like you said, it helps us all to know that we're not alone and that you know everybody out there has the same sorts of questions and issues and and we all kind of can work together to solve these types of problems and that was originally what the concept of especially the first season of the podcast was supposed to be was look can you you want to do this and there's other people out there that want to do this and are interested and you're going to have questions and they're going to be the same questions that these other people have and you're going to make mistakes and they're going to be the same mistakes that these other people may have made and it's just going to help everybody all the way around be able to look at it and say oh man you know what i did that now i don't feel so bad and it's okay like it's not the end of the world and i'm actually you know right on track with where i should be and that was kind of my original goal and intent for all of this was just to help people understand that you're not alone out there even if it is just you by yourself and you have no beekeepers in your area you can tune in and you can you can still get that camaraderie and and that self reassurance basically self-assurance that uh that everything is okay and you know that what you're looking at makes sense and that it will all ultimately be okay hopefully fingers crossed <laughs> yeah fingers crossed the world is on fire but we'll get through it that's all right it's gonna be okay just don't pay attention to that over there i know just just keep focused on the bees that's all we have to do to get through this i'm sure it does actually it is kind of um it is a fun little thing because like you you listened to the episode on like hive for heroes and then you kind of reposted it out there and, and gave a great little shout out for them as well but beekeeping is great for stress relief and it sounds very counterintuitive oh, yeah. because it can go so wrong and become <laughs> stressful but it has its moments of like that getting lost in what's going on i'm just going to go out and do a quick inspection and it turns into a 45 minute ordeal because I saw something that fascinated me. Or um, when I got my very first two hives, my favorite thing to do was to come home from work and I would go out in my backyard and I would sit down and it was always right about the golden hour where the sun was just starting to set. And mm -hmm. my one colony would do orientation flights like clockwork every night at that time. And I would just sit there for an hour and just watch them swirling back and forth and it was just so peaceful and calming and so you know in these current times of the world where there is no uh seeming end to the lack of security or safety or chaos that's going on around us being able to escape to your beehive and sit down and take a deep breath and hear their hum and buzz and watch their flights and and just kind of zen out and relax i think is extremely helpful yeah, absolutely. I actually call it bee time. So, you know, I will often warn my husband, I'll be like, I'm going out to the hives and I'm planning to do X, Y, Z, but you know how I am when I'm in bee time because <laughs> I can just get lost. Like I'm not, sometimes I'll even come back in and I did everything I meant to do. And I'm like, wow, that went really well. And I think it went pretty fast. And I'll look at the clock and I'll be like, my God, I've been out there for two hours. <laughs> yeah. And I had no idea. It just flew by because I just get so sucked into this tiny little world that, you know, I, I feel very privileged to be able to go in and look through and be part of. And time just starts flying by and, it, and it's wonderful. And I always feel very reset after I've been out to the hives. So it's a great stress relief. Absolutely. 
Yeah, it is. It is a one of my favorite pastimes. If I can just go sit out there and just observe, I don't even have to open up the hive. I just want to sit and watch, watch them coming and going, and watch the light reflecting off of their wings and in just the patterns that they make. And it's just a giant sigh of relief. It kind of helps ground you and, and center you and get rid of all the rest of the stuff from the day. Absolutely, and I, I love how it can be really infectious to the people around you, finding that kind of joy in something so seemingly small. I, I like to see, I can see my beehives from my deck and my husband and I sit out there when we can in the morning and, and have our coffee or tea together. And um, I always like, I'm looking at the bees flying back and forth, back and forth to the hives. And now my husband started doing it as well. And it always makes me so happy when he's like, wow, the girls are really busy this morning. Or I saw one of your girls like fly by the deck or she came to visit us or whatever. And I just, I love that he's kind of tuning into that. Yes, that is, it's actually, it's awesome too, because sometimes they absorb it without realizing they have. And then they'll shock mm -hmm. themselves when they regurgitate a piece of information or something. And they're like, oh, my God, <laughs> like I've, I've yeah. been around you too much. <laughs> well, see, now I'm kind of a little insulated from that because my husband's a scientist. So I expect him to open his mouth and say something incredibly profound or intelligent or something that I can't fully follow because that's what he lives. Yep. Um, but I love when he as I call it, regurgitates beef facts because I'm like, yay, you love bees as well. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's always an awesome, an awesome thing. Um, I've got a couple of, of really close friends that listen to the podcast. They are not beekeepers. Um, they absolutely love the honey, but I don't, I don't foresee them ever necessarily becoming beekeepers. They might someday, um, but they listen to the podcast. They listen to every single episode and it just, it, it's it's flattering it's humbling but it's also just it kind of cracks me up in a way because i'm like now that's dedication you know like you're you're hooked in enough to it that you enjoy it and you listen to it even though you don't have a beehive and you know it's we're like almost a year and a half two years like down the road and you're still listening and you still don't have a beehive but you still enjoy it um and they will do the same thing they will you know somebody will say something they'll be like actually <laughs> and then they'll regurgitate something that they've heard on the show or, or heard me say in person and um it kind of cracks me up the off subject the one thing that that trips me up with this whole thing is mm -hmm. sometimes forgetting that people all over the world are actually listening and paying attention to what you're saying and yeah. somebody will bring up something to me and it will catch me off guard. And the first thought that goes through my mind is, how do you know that? <laughs> <laughs> oh. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I said that on the podcast that anybody can listen to. That makes total sense. <laughs> Right. See, now it's funny that you say that because I had to kind of have the opposite. So, you know, obviously my podcast is much smaller. I have a, a very small listener base. And so, and as some of my friends, none of who are interested in bees, they, they listen to an episode here or there, but they're, they're not really, you know, listening every episode. And so I have the opposite in the sense that my friends will suddenly be like, Gemma, I saw this, or I saw a honeybee do this. What does it mean? And my first thought is like, well, doesn't everyone know that? And then I'm like, oh, that's terrible. No, no, not everyone knows that. You're a weirdo who is obsessed with bees. Like these, you know, most people have no idea that bees, you know, do all the incredible complicated things that they do. And I do love that though. I do love how my friends will reach out to me about things. And I, I'm also very flattered when they just assume I know things about other insects because it's like, well, if you know about 
honeybees, then you have to know about every other insect, right? So I yeah, love when they ask me with questions. Right, <laughs> clearly, yes, yes. Uh, that's always really, really fun. And um, it just, it, it cracks me up. And, and I like the chance to, you know, educate people. And, and it's so nice when my friends like engage with me on what feels like my level of weird random bee facts. Yeah, I think, I think that is, it is always nice. And that's kind of one of those things where if a friend asks me a question, especially if there's somebody that knows that I have been doing, um, that was my fault. Sorry. I just heard that noise <laughs> through my head and I was like, that was a kin moment. My phone just went off on a podcast. I should be shamed. Um, I give him such dirty looks whenever he does that. I'm like, dude, seriously. <laughs> it makes me laugh so much. Every time I'm listening and I hear that splash, I just crack up. Oh, the curse splash, and there's a turkey call. The curse splash, I think, has made its uh, its its debut on the show more times than the turkey call. But there is a turkey call. Um, apparently, yeah. there is an elk bugling too. But thank God, none of us have ever heard that. Um, yeah, it just it cracks oh. me up. But no, so the the point that I was going to make with that was more that my friends, when they come back and they they will say something or they'll ask me a question, I still have that that hesitant kind of reaction where I'm like do you really want me to go into this? <laughs> like, right, you really, right. you know, this could be a never ending thing, right? Um, or, you know, I'll, I'll caution them with the whole, like, do you really want to know? <laughs> but yeah, it is, it is very nice, though, to see that your friends come to you for that or take interest in it. And it is, it is a very cool thing. It, it absolutely is. And um, so I just wanted, I guess I should wrap up this little bit and just say, you know, thank you so much for answering all my questions. I could honestly, I probably have a million more I could ask you, but I feel like it would be the episode that never ends. <laughs> and it could I go in conjunction have, with the book review. <laughs> I know, that's what I was going to say. I already have the book review that never ends. So I probably don't need the questions episode that never ends. So thank you so much for putting this together and then, sharing this time with me and answering my questions about how you got into this crazy business of bees and podcasting. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. And thank you so much for being a willing participant to go through and test out some of this new technology and stuff with us, because that makes a huge difference on some of these things that we were talking about, you know, that we want to do with the podcast in the future. So I greatly appreciate that. I'd be more than happy to be your guest anytime. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I enjoy... I enjoy all the the podcast, the homesteading stuff that you talk about, and oddly enough, um, in some ways, kind of live vicariously through you because you get to talk about your chickens. And I used to have chickens, but I don't any longer. So I I kind of like to go and uh, kind of peek in every now and then and see what your flock is up to and hear their stories because that that used to be my day. I'd come home from work, I'd watch the bees. I'd sit down in the backyard. The dog would have to come and tell me all about his day because his job was to guard the chickens. And then the chickens would have to come and tell me all the ways the dog was not guarding the chickens because he was sleeping under the tree or hiding up at the front door or something. But they would hop up on my knees and my shoulder and they would just, you know, cluck and clack and, and tell me all about it. And it was hysterical and I loved it. Like that was my life for about a year and a half, almost two years, uh, was me, the dogs and the chickens and the bees. <laughs> the podcast could have, eventually became you know just the birds and the bees podcast had things stayed on that course <laughs> well thank you so much john for being here today and answering all my questions for everyone else i hope you enjoyed this very special episode it was absolutely 
my pleasure to get to talk to John today. Uh, I think we covered a, covered a lot of ground, even though I do have many more questions, but hopefully those will be answered as I continue to listen to the Hive Jive podcast. If any of you aren't subscribed to the Hive Jive, I really recommend that you listen. I have found it immensely helpful to me in my beekeeping journey. Uh, Ken, who I was not able to talk to today, is a big personality. He's the beginner beekeeper. John is the experienced one. And they have a really great back and forth. And I just find the format very educational. So I recommend that you look him up. I will also have the links to his website and Instagram on my own website and in the episode description. Now, in two weeks when I come back, I'm going to be continuing my Lives of Bees by Thomas Seeley book review, and I will be doing chapter nine, which is all about thermoregulation. I also hope to have some hive updates for you. It's looking like our dearth is coming to an end and we're moving into the full nectar flow. I've definitely seen goldenrod popping popping up, popping up in my area. And I'm very excited. I was able to peek into one hive yesterday and they're mad, but they're not robbing like they were before. So hopefully I'm going to have lots of news for you about all the catch up I have to do in my hives, like mic checks, inspections, seeing how they're doing, seeing how hard the dearth hit them and so on. So I hope you will join me again in two weeks. I really look forward to getting to tell you all about the very impressive way that bees thermoregulate both themselves and their hives. As always, please stay safe out there. Take care of yourselves, take care of each other and hug your hens and then wash your hands. Thanks so much. Bye bye.